Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Back at it again. Yes, indeed. The Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com. How about you? Hopefully you're having a pretty good week so far. If you're anywhere near South Louisiana, you've been getting a lot of rain. For so, so for anybody out there who's been praying for rain, man, you must have the hotline number because it's been coming down around the capital city. And I guess that's a part of it. Like the old uh, saying used to be, you know, back in school, April showers bring May flowers. Well, there ought to be a heck of a lot of flowers out coming up in the month of May. But anyway, say la vie, that's the way it is here in Louisiana. The regular session of the legislature is underway as we speak. The 2015 fiscal session, it's an abbreviated session of the legislature, and a lot of business is going to be dealt with. Most importantly, I hope, dealing with the budget situation. Now, as you know, by constitutional statute, they're going to have to solve the budget mess. They can't end the session with a deficit. They've got to balance the budget. What that means is we're going to see some extraordinary moves done to make that happen. And there could be cuts to places that you may not like. And that leads us to who our guest is today. State Representative John Schroeder. He's from the North Shore. He's a graduate of Southeastern University and is a veteran of the United States Army. He's a small businessman. He's worked as a real estate agent. Uh, He's done a lot of things. He is a member now of the Appropriations Committee. He's on the, uh, the Appropriations Committee, the House and Governmental Affairs Committee, the House Executive Committee, the Joint Budget Committee, and the Joint Homeland Security Committee. Uh, he currently chairs the Task Force for Legal Representation for Children. And, uh, you know, he's, he's an interesting guy. We had a good conversation. You're going to get that. And I'll leave it up to you. A lot of conversation on social media and in emails over the last couple of weeks. In fact, uh, last week I got an email from someone who made the comment that they listened to our show with Lionel Rainey, but they were a little disappointed that we hadn't had. Now, Lionel Rainey, for those of you who didn't hear, is the spokesperson for uh, the city of St. George. It's a movement inside of East Baton Rouge Parish in Louisiana that is trying to uh, form its own city. And Rainey's been on a couple of times. He was on a few weeks back to talk a little bit about what the motivation behind the move is. And he was on last week because they were in the news because six signatures out of the 18,000 or so were found to have been forgeries. And so I had him come in here to talk about that, to answer some questions about it. And I'll come back to that, too. And so I got an email from a gentleman who said he enjoys the show. He enjoys the interview style. I appreciate that. But he said he was a little disappointed that I haven't had someone from the opposition on. And I responded to him that he's right, that actually we were trying to get council member John Delgado on to debate Lionel last week. And we couldn't work that out with both their schedules and we are going to have uh, Councilman Delgado on to talk about his, uh, his side of it. But there's a group here in town, Together Baton Rouge. We reached out to their office on Friday and have not heard back from them. So he's right. You know, I, I, my skin's not thin when it comes to those kinds of criticisms. I want people to get all sides of the coin. And listen, I want to get both sides. I want to be able to know what's happening on every side of an issue. And so I appreciate the comments Thank you so much. Keep them coming. In fact, most of the comments come to me at my Clay Young Enterprises website. 
well. And, and this is through the due diligence of the people who listen to this show. I mean, they go there and they find a way to contact me. And I truly, truly do appreciate that. Well, there is now a contact tab up at the uh, podcast 225 website. So you can go there and you can email me directly if you don't want to go to the company site. And I generally try to respond to all of the emails. Gotten a lot of comments on Facebook and Twitter about the show. In fact, I got an email also from someone who was asking about being able to subscribe to the show if they are not an Apple software user. user. And we're working on that as we speak. But He was able to go to the website, podcast225.com, and find a way to download the show because he says he prefers to listen to to the show on the way into work. Man, you don't know how much I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the support that I've been getting from the public. It's overwhelming. I don't take it for granted at all, and I hope to do a really good job for you. I got a comment on Twitter from someone a few days ago saying that he kind of liked the interview with Lionel, but thought that there were some softballs that I had thrown at him. So I said, well, what could I have asked him that I didn't ask him? And he brought something up and I said, we did go over that. Now, that didn't really bother me. I'm not about to slam this guy on because I thought he was was pretty cordial with me. We talked about some other things, no hard feelings at all. But I want to talk a little bit about my approach to an interview. I go in with questions that I want to have answered, right? Do I know everything? No. I try to be prepared for these interviews, absolutely. Will I sometimes miss something? Possibly. I'm human. I do my best. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to be combative to the degree of, like, shtick, right? Like, you bring someone in, and people know even before the interview starts that there's going to be a fight, because that's a part of your shtick. If somebody says something that I disagree with, or if I'm annoyed by something, what you hear is how I really feel. I'm not making it up. If I want to laugh at something, I'm going to laugh. If I don't want to laugh, I won't. You know how it is. If you're having a conversation with someone, I kind of want some transparency here. And I actually don't want people who may disagree with me on an issue and who know they disagree with me on an issue to feel that when they come in here, they got to be ready for a fight. Sometimes, maybe. But a lot of times, I just want the discussion because I think I do you a disservice if I have an interview with someone and you don't learn something. If the interview's purpose is for you to learn something. A lot of times people talk, I shut up and I let them go because I want you to hear what's on their mind, right? And if it's something like the Richard Condon interview, which yes, I've heard all of you about that, Condon will be back. Probably in about the next two, three weeks, he'll be back again. But outside of the interview with Condon, I kind of want to learn something from people. State Representative John Schroeder is someone I met when we did the interview. We didn't have much conversation before the interview. He came in, sat down in the chair, sat on the digital front porch, as I like to call it, and then we had a conversation. And there is a part of what we talked about that I disagree with. And part of the interview, something comes uh, comes up about Governor Jindal and personal attacks and all of this stuff. Look, I'm not going to do that. I know how I may personally feel, but I don't. I'm not going to come on and and just like run over the man. And make personal attacks. Do I think that there's some things that should have been done better? Absolutely. Would I like him to spend a little bit more time talking about what's happening here? Absolutely. Do I think painting the picture that Louisiana is in a great place when we've got a billion and a half dollar budget shortfall is the right thing? Nope. Don't. 
We're not a very large state. I do think we've got some bright spots. I don't think everything has been bad. But come on, man. It's feast or famine in a lot of areas right now. And all I'm saying is I'm just one person, a citizen, a taxpayer, a stakeholder. I just want to see the job done by the people we elect to do a job. That's all. And for me, it's not about politics. It doesn't really matter what your what letter is next to your name. You could be a douchebag as a Republican or a Democrat. You can be a hero as a Republican or a Democrat. Don't really matter to me. Just do the job. That's all I care about. Do the freaking job. That's why we elected you. That's why we put you there. Do the job. That's all. That's all. Right? Right. Also, let me shill a little bit here, right? So for those of you who listen to the show, I want you to go to iTunes, hit that subscribe button. It gives us a clear picture of who's listening. Now, we can see on the website who's accessing our show there. But for so many of you who are listening to the show on iTunes, listen, it doesn't cost you anything. If you're listening to the show, nothing changes. This way, you don't have to go look for it. It pops into your podcast app on your phone. I was telling a friend of mine, and I won't call him out because you know him. Uh, He was trying to find out how to get it. He couldn't figure out how to get to it. His wife took his phone, showed him where it was, and then tossed the phone back to him. She's she's fantastic. And he's too funny. But you can go to if you're if you have an iPhone, you can do it that way. If you don't have an iPhone, you can subscribe on go to the site. You can listen that way. And we are working on non iPhone users a way to be able to get you this show. Hey, listen, it's free. It's a free show. You access the website, right? Cost me money. You go to iTunes. We produce this thing. Eventually, we're going to be bringing on more advertisers than the one we have to try to promote this, but I don't want this to become heavy commercial, right? And, I, and I'm certainly never going to charge, it, charge for it. None of the content on this is going to be something you have to pay for, at least not this show. Having said all of that, don't forget, remember the 22 Warriors for Freedom. It's the campaign to remember the military veterans who've given their lives for this country. Say a prayer for the men and women who serve our country. Say a prayer for the men and women who walk the beat of the streets of America defending our cities and hope that some of what's going on right now does come to an end. And I plan on having some discussion about that in depth next week because I think it's a big deal and I want to take my time and talk about it. Maybe even most of the show on that. So that's on the way. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back. And joining us next will be State Representative John Schroeder to talk about the 2015 legislative session. Clay Young here with John Fabry for Infinity of Baton Rouge and Infinity of Lafayette. Let's talk about the used selection at Infinity. We've got them, buddy. Pre-owned. Tell me about Uh, it. Always have a huge selection. If you find yourself, no matter what the price range, and I brought a few examples here today, Go to our website. All our pre-owned cars are, have photographs, a uh, little mm-hmm. history on the car. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, we talk price range a lot. Everybody thinks that everything we have is expensive. Not the case. We have a number of pre-owned cars under $10,000. A few examples here. I've got a 2005 Toyota Corolla S, $7,000. A uh, 08 Mazda M3 Sport, uh, $7,700. And then uh, Nissan Altimas, $8,500. We've got a number of cars under that $10,000 price range. There you have it. A great deal on new cars and also pre-owned at Infinity of Baton Rouge and Infinity of Lafayette. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com. As we said, our guest here in studio is State Representative John Schroeder, who now, as you know, is a part of 
what's happening at the Capitol, the legislative session, the fiscal session this year, as they will be dealing with financial matters. And I can't think of any better place to start than with how bad it is financially. But I guess before then, let's talk a little bit about yourself, uh, where you come from, why'd you get into politics, and how long do you think you'll stay? (laughs) Well, I'm 54. I have a 28-year-old lawyer and a 26-year-old nurse. All right. Lawyer's the female. Yeah. And my son's the nurse, and All everybody right. already always assumes gets it wrong, right? Oh, yeah. And my kids love that because when we're out as a family, I, I, that's sort of something I like to tease about. But um, I'm in my eighth session. You know, I'm a businessman, former narcotics detective, and CID agent in the army. Really? Yeah. And I had a real bad eye injury, and I'm um, lost significant vision in my right eye. And okay. So when I was about 28, uh, went into the business world and been there since. So let's talk about uh, why'd you get into politics? Yeah, I, I uh, it's really about opportunity. Uh, and okay. I tell people uh, the term limits came about, and I'm part of a class of, I think, 63, 62 legislators that yeah. came in eight years ago. So with with Governor Jindal. With Governor yeah. Jindal. You know, I was all excited about coming to Baton Rouge mm-hmm. and, and, and making Louisiana a better place. My wife and I had seen some good times business-wise uh, in our different businesses and and uh, was, was really blessed enough to even take the opportunity to do it. And uh legislator uh former uh house rep diane winston was a friend of mine and right. she turned out so it was really just about timing and, and the opportunity and business was good enough and, and allowed and afforded me the the opportunity to go do it so now you're in the legislature you have been there through you know right after hurricane katrina we had this big transition with louisiana with governor Jindal coming in a largely conservative legislature coming in with him, and it's even more conservative now at the end of an eight-year period. Fiscally now, we are in a bad spot, and I don't think the public has an idea how bad it is. Is that a fair statement to make? No, it's very fair uh, that the public really, and I don't mean this in in a negative way, but the the, the the public has no clue. And I, I, I agree with you. So that's one of the things that I want to talk about today. I want to talk about some of the bills that you're going to be filing during the abbreviated session, the fiscal session, and how we fix some of this. But you're known as one of the fiscal hawks. And for people who are not familiar with that political term, fiscal hawks are generally those who pay the most attention to the numbers and who are more concerned about managing the people's money. So let's paint the picture for the average person listening to us on this podcast who may be thinking, okay, well, how bad is it? They say it's bad. Let's tell people how bad it is right now. Well, if we were to balance the budget today like like typical business does, we have roughly about 65,000 state employees. Mm Mm-hmm. This ought to give the public some idea. We would have to lay off 27,000 people today to balance our budget. 27,000 people. Now, in the eight years that you have been there, that number has gone down some. Oh, yeah. When I got there, it was just over 100. Right. And um, and, a, and a lot of that, I, I, Clay, it, it's important to, to understand that there was a lot of vacant positions. And right. what happened was the departments used those vacant positions sort of as their bank accounts. Mm-hmm. And, and that money that was funded for those positions, they used that throughout their budget. So as the uh, budget uh, or, or the economy worsened in Louisiana, 
the legislature started cutting those positions. So some people have lost their jobs, but many of the other reductions came from unfilled positions right. that, that we just would not fund. So just through attrition. And you I, know, when, again, when positions went empty, we didn't replace the people. Yeah, and I want to be careful because some people did lose their jobs. Yeah. But the great, great majority of those positions were vacant. So let's begin where Louisiana had more cash. Eight years ago, we were in a better financial position. Right. And we had the hurricane here. We had the BP oil spill. Of course, there was a national recession, which is going to have an impact on a state like Louisiana with only four and a half million people. But tell, talk us through it from the time you take office in January of 07 through where we are now in April of 2015, right. where we're talking about closing universities. We've seen emergency rooms close at hospitals. We're talking about state departments, not just downsizing, but closing. How did we get here? Well, my first year in, in you know, my campaign year was seven and, and I got here in eight and we had a billion dollar uh, surplus right and it was like it was like kids in a candy store mm-hmm. but I can remember I've been on appropriations since my first session uh, going into my third session I got kicked off uh, why'd you get kicked off uh, because I wouldn't vote the way someone needed to vote who wanted you to vote uh, the, ro- the administration yeah. and, and, and the leadership okay so I, I got kicked off and then later, in, going into my second term in my fifth year, I was elected. Mm-hmm. There's six members to the Appropriations Committee that are elected, and I'm one of them. So, you know, I have the freedom to say and and do as I see fit because I don't have to answer to You can be an threat. adult yeah, I don't have who to was answer. elected by adults. Yeah, I don't have right. to listen. I don't have to be threatened yeah. and, and because that happens a lot, let's face it. So, yeah. so we get here. We got a billion-dollar surplus. But I noticed uh, that year I was sitting in a uh, joint budget because mm-hmm. as a member of appropriations, you also sit on joint budget. And I remember asking the question publicly because at that time I had a, a retail paint store outside of Abita Springs. Okay. And business had really, really tailed off big time and um, to where we weren't going to pay any taxes that, this year. But we were spending money already like it was going to be here forever. Right. So I remember asking that question. Am I the only business owner who who's not going to pay any State income tax this year? So stop. I want you to finish, but I want to drill down on the point you just made because I think people need to really get that. You see it as business owners see it. Money is, you treat money like it's finite. <laughs> like I just treat be- it like it's coming out of my pocket. <laughs> well, but, but what I mean is right. you don't spend, smart business owners don't spend money like you're going to have a good day tomorrow because you have a good one today. You plan for it, but you never know. So when you're talking about tax dollars in a poor state and people are spending money like that, what was the reaction you got well, when you asked those questions? Well, it was sort of laughed off. You know, laughed like, off. Well, it was like, uh, what you worrying about? You know, you, you have enough legislators that that have been there a long time that basically say, well, it always solves itself. Yeah. And, you know, we just move on. And, I, you know, I've been told by, before by a long-time senator, Johnny, just don't worry, Johnny. It, it all works out. And you know what the problem is? It normally does. Come hook a crook, which is where I've probably – disagree with the governor yeah. the most yeah. is how we're hooking and crooking our way <laughs> to a balance a balanced budget. You hooking know? and crooking. We could we're certainly gonna get into that in yeah. a little bit more more about it. So 
the public is unaware. You you are trying to ring the bell, sound the alarm that this thing is bad and it's getting worse. And this thing that we're doing, we're going to end up having to face this down one day. By my second year, I voted against the governor's budget with three other members of the House. Uh, who were they? You know, I remember Kurt Talbot, maybe Cameron Henry. Yeah. And I think the fourth one was either Greg Crome or Joe Lapinto. There might have been five of us. That's a lot of the. That's close. Those are guys in your delegation oh, yeah. down there. No question. In the New Jefferson Orleans Parish, area. Yeah. 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 So okay, now well, listen. The, the real story is okay. five years later, we had seventy-three people vote against. The, no question. The governor's popularity has waned a right. whole lot. Do you think he's a fiscal conservative at all? I, I do. Let me tell you. Do. You do well. Let me let me just say this. I, you know, people because I've been at odds with the governor. Okay. And then, look, I've I've I've. Uh, I've, there's no, no, there's no bones about it. When you're walking in that building, the people people don't think Bobby Jindal and I get along. I like the guy. I think he's a good conservative. I, you know, he's a good family man, a good father, and has very high moral background uh, or backbone, which I respect. I just, you know. I, we come from two different worlds. Mm -hmm. I come from a world when you make a dollar, you save 90 cents. Hell yeah. You know, you invest a little bit more to make a little bit more. Yeah. And, and that's something that I have had to learn in Baton Rouge that everybody didn't have that experience. I had that experience. So it, it was very frustrating to me because I wanted everybody to think and do what I, what I thought we should think and do. And you find out real quick in, in that building that doesn't work that way. So when you meet legislators who who swear that they're going to serve the people, I mean, that's how you guys get elected. You tell the people you're going to go there to serve them. And then you're in these committee meetings and you hear these people talking about spending the people's money with no real concern about consequences. Was your first reaction? This is a small problem or what was it? No, I voted against the budget very quickly because mm -hmm. we were spending money on 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 reoccurring expenses, but we were we were getting them from all these different pots, yeah. and and I and you can't do that if you can't do that in your family life, you can't do that in your business world, you can't do that at your church. There's no place on earth where you can do that except in government. Yeah. Now the difference between because you don't necessarily have to be responsible. You don't. It's the people's money. Because you can walk out and you go home and you typically forget it. I mean, I I take my position very seriously. Not to say that my colleagues don't, but I run it the same way I would run my personal income at home. And okay. I tell people this all the time: if legislators had to take that money out of their pocket and spend it, we would do it a whole different way. And that's a problem. So I, I, because of my background and my nature, um, I do that every day. Give me the biggest single example of what you're saying. So get, tell me about an incident that happened where you went, oh, man, what is what, what is going on here? Oh, well, we raid these funds. You know, the oil companies put up money to for coastal restoration or to for the oil spills or you name it and and we'll go in and raid that money and use it on health care higher ed or whatever else which i call that a tax yeah i'm okay with a fee i'm going to charge you a fee uh, and then i'm going to use that money to better your industry right whatever it may be oil right. spill gas spills yeah. um you know wildlife and fisheries hunting and fishing but when we start taking that money 
and then using it for some other purpose than what that fee was intended for, in my world, that's a tax. So I agree with you. So let's drill down on something we're hearing a lot more about. And I got to give John Kennedy credit. He's been screaming about this for a little while. One-time money for recurring expenses. Healthcare, it's a revolving budget. Every year there's a new budget. And then you have a pool of money over maybe taxes or fees uh, that generated it over here. And you take that money out of there. And instead of fixing what's broken here, you just cover it up with this money from someplace else. That's true. And, and, and what they rely on, what government has relied on the last seven years, is having the economy improve enough to, to offset that, that dollar amount. The problem, Clay, is that... Um, the guaranteed benefits to state employees and the, and the cost of yep. government is growing faster than what the economy can keep up. People don't realize this. We have a $1.6 billion budget that we started dealing with today. Actually, we've been there for four weeks. Budget deficit. Budget deficit. <laughs> the 16-17 the, the budget deficits projected to be even higher at 1.8, right. $1.9 With the price of gas being so low, price of oil being so price low. Price of oil, but let me tell you, I, you know, I, the, uh, people, different people will say, well, you know, it's the oil, this, that oil. Oil, we were, we were headed down this Absolutely. path way before the oil. <laughs> what a load of garbage that is. The, the, the price really of is. oil thing is, is a recent deal that we're dealing with, and it eventually is going to go up, but we've been trending in, into this place for it years. And today, it, the, the, the oil can jump to $100 today, right. and we would still have a $1.3 billion budget. No deficit. question about it. So uh, how do we fix it? Let's cut right to there. How do you think we fix what's well, broken Well, none now? of it's good. Let's, the fix, let's, let's because talk about it. Here's the bottom line. I, I, you know, I come from the, the New Orleans region. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born and raised there, but I live on the North Shore. Mm-hmm. And... Um, one thing's for sure. I don't care what event I go to. I always ask people, do you want to pay more taxes? And I was speaking to a large group of retired teachers and administrators a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And somebody made a comment about, well, y'all need to dedicate this money to this or, or, or dedicate it to that. I said, well, let me, let me take a little poll here. Raise your hand if you want to pay more taxes. And out of the 80 to 90 people there, about 10 people raised their hand. I can't believe it was that many. You know, I don't care where you go. In general, people don't want to pay more taxes. No, sir. So that doesn't leave us very many options. Right. So here, here they are. You can undedicate money, which we, I filed that bill. Mm-hmm. You can raise taxes. Right. You can suspend some tax credits. Right. Um, and that's about it. So... Undead, let's talk about undedicating some money. Right. Drill down on that for me. Well, eighty-five, almost eight, uh, at least eighty-five percent of our budget is is dedicated in some way, By shape, constitutional or statute. So right now, I think the figure is we got to cut one point six billion. I think the analyst told us the other day from a six hundred million dollar pot. Yeah, you look perplexed at that. Yeah, yeah, one point six billion from six hundred million ain't gonna happen. No. So uh, somebody who works in the in the capital said that to you. Yeah. Somebody we pay, yeah. do we twice, yeah. twice a month? Okay. Yeah, now, now, I've known this for years. OK, we, we knew and yeah. several of us knew that if yeah. we if we kept spending recklessly yeah. and we kept stealing those fees You're run out of to money. use them for something else, we've raided um, the uh, 
every fund, I mean, you name it, it's been raided. And, and we've even skirted around the Constitution by moving some money around here and there. I mean, it's, we've done some really, really – they've taken fuzzy math to the all-time high. Yeah. Now, it, was, it would have been okay if it would have worked, but it right. hasn't worked. The economy hasn't kept up. Nope. It's not keeping up. Nope. And, the, and you know, the, the forecast only goes five years out. I don't know if, if – I think five years from now they're projecting like a $750 million deficit. So this problem isn't going away. So we undedicate the the lion's share of money dedicated by by the Constitution. So that's going to take you and your colleagues in both chambers voting Correct. in favor of that. It takes a two-thirds yeah. vote, and then it goes to the people to vote. So I think the people will likely be in favor of this depending on the rhetoric. And you know how that works. No question. So let's talk about selling this to your colleagues first in the House. Well, how do you sell it? Look— I'm a realist. It doesn't have a shot in hell at passing. But what has to happen, you don't you don't create policy overnight. Mm -hmm. So I was committed to file the bill. Um, my colleagues and I actually filed four types of bills. Right. One to undedicate the statutorily dedicated. One to undedicate the constitutionally dedicated. We sunsetted all tax credits and all exemptions. Mm -hmm. That puts everybody's money on the table. Right. Doesn't single out the policemen and firemen, doesn't single out the teachers, doesn't single out health care, higher ed, or, or, or K-12. Puts everything on the table, just like you do every day in Absolutely. your walk of life, and then you prioritize it. You know, two years ago, we proposed um, a, a little haircut, a temporary haircut on some tax credits to help us get through this problem. Movie, well, movie tax credits? Movie, every, everything was on the table. Okay. Because I believe we're all in this together. Right. Um, whether you're a policeman, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a government worker, um, we're all in this together. We should all be participating in this fix. I don't look, as a former law enforcement guy, I don't look at my job any better than your job. Right. You know, or, or, or a teacher... I don't look at a teacher's job any more important than an accountant working at DHH. Mm -hmm. So I want to treat everybody fairly and equally, and that can happen. What's happened over the years is we've passed one amendment at a time. They seem harmless at the time. There's a constitutional amendment to dedicate this. Well, that's not too bad. Passes. Mm -hmm. Well, we've done that for years, and now we have this big old problem, and the only way to fix it is to undedicate them. So uh, a couple things. Going back to leadership with the governor, uh, personally about him being a husband and father, I, I generally don't like to make judgments or comments about people's personal life. He right. didn't, his family didn't get elected. He did. Having said that, I don't think he's much of a fiscal hawk. Oh, I, I didn't say it was a fiscal okay. hawk. I, 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 well, I think I, he's more I, conservative I, well, than I asked, not. But I asked you, did you think he was a fiscal conservative? And you said yes. Yeah, man. You, you sure you don't want to walk that back a little <laughs> bit now, Schroeder? Yeah. <laughs> now you look perplexed. Well, I, I guess because I this is I guess this is the difference between me and some people. Yeah. I respect everybody's opinion. Oh, sure. Sure. And, and it doesn't I, have to be personal no, and name no, calling yeah. and all of and, that. And right. I get he disagrees that these funds or reoccurring money. So let's talk about that. Let's let, let let's not over let's not gloss over that. You've got one-time money. 
Okay? Let's say you have, um, let's put it this way. You have a, an electricity bill that comes every month to the average person in a house, right? And you have just enough to cover the electricity bill every month, but the bill goes up and your money doesn't. And so you go into the piggy bank and you get the overage out of your piggy bank to meet the April bill. Now, the May bill is coming and either you cut back on the usage of electricity or you find a way to generate more revenue. That's correct. What you're saying is the bill has been the same and maybe rising. We are rating every piggy bank that exists and we've not found a way to generate more revenue. That is that a pretty good yeah, characterization? I, 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 so here's a question. No, I, I, that's leading me to a question. If this has been going on five years, how in the hell did we not think we were going to end up here right now if we didn't make changes? You've been saying we need to make changes. Right. So why aren't other people saying we need to make changes? Let's just let's call it like it is, John. Well, look, I, I told a couple of my colleagues today I was not going to run around the building and say, hmm, "Told you so." <laughs> you know, I've been there eight years. My, my second year, I could go all the way back to my second year and say, told you so, 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 told you so. And in my eighth year, told you so. Mm -hmm. It's like selling your furniture to pay your mortgage. And I used to say that. And Pretty it, soon it you run work. out of furniture. <laughs> and, 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 and we've gotten here because the economic development that's going on in the state, you know, the, the administration sold people that, Hey, the economy's growing. The money's going to be there at the end of the day. Well, we've gotten to the end of the day, and it's worse. How could it be worse, though? Because uh, expenses continue to rise. But no, no, no. We, we talk about we talked about because um, I don't want to beat that that point to death that they're using one-time money for recurring expenses. Right. But what about the generation of additional revenue? Why hasn't that happened at a pace that would have avoided where we are now? No, and I don't have that answer. And I ask that a lot. I've asked Stephen Moray, mm -hmm. you know, with all the Secretary economic, of Economic Development. Yeah, with all the economic development that you guys are talking about, you you heard the governor's speech today: ninety thousand new jobs. Mm -hmm. And it's this and it's that. But but somebody like me who sits on appropriations committee, I'm just looking at the numbers. Nights. And they're not adding up. Something isn't adding up. And I'm not in economic development. I don't you know, all I know is is when it's time for me to look at the numbers and and, and do my job in appropriations committee, one plus one isn't equal in two. Sure. It's equal in three. Yeah. And we don't have that extra dollar to pay for it. So nobody's really come up with a real good answer. I, I will tell you this, you know, um, Clay, we have what I call two sides of the ledger. Mm -hmm. You have a $7.2 billion giveaway side to either business, some exemptions or credits, you, you name it, $7.2 billion. On our budget side, we have about $8.5 billion. Now, in the business world, you invest a dollar, you know, you make 20%, 30%, 40%, hopefully whatever. Mm -hmm. But we're, the way I see it, we're investing $7.2 billion, and we're not getting our return. So something's broken someplace, and, and I'll use a film tax credit That's as an example. That's where I was going to go. I'm not opposed to film tax credits. Right. I'm not opposed to any credit, tax credit, that generates more than what it's given out. It's never done that, though. Nobody can really show you something in Baton Rouge that say, okay, this one's working, this one's working, oh, this one's not. Mm -hmm. The film's tax, tax credit, and I have told people this, 
uh, in the industry. I just had an email exchange with a um, professor from, I forget what college, but you know, we rely on guys like me rely on these economists in Baton Rouge and LSU mm-hmm. basically to, to steer us along. Well, since I've been in Baton Rouge, they have long said that the film tax credits are not returning its money uh, uh, investment to the state. Right. That we're losing money. Right. I told the film industry uh, just before the end of the year, we have 14 universities in Louisiana. Go find one. Hire one. Do your own study. Bring it to the table. Because right now, the economists on the government side, and these are independent co- sure, economists. They sure. work for LSU, and right. they, one works for the, uh, the state. Uh, and it's paid to be independent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just one. I don't mean to single them out. Solar tax credit's another one. But w- but we have a bunch. Mm-hmm. A bunch. So um, what 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 I what I refuse to do and and I, I tell the higher ed folks this all the time. What i I'm I'm to the point after going into my eighth year now, um, I refuse to keep telling uh, uh, parents with a child with a severe disability that we can't fund them, mm. or that we cut family helping families one hundred and forty thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars. That almost every parish in this state has one. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I refuse to do that anymore without the business community coming to the table and having a conversation about it. I'm tired of hearing the business community tell me, "Don't cut higher ed." Don't cut health care. Oh, but don't you dare cut my touch my tax credits or my exemptions. Mm-hmm. You can't have your cake and eat it too. But the business community, you're, you're so spot on. Real business people, people who've had to build businesses from the ground up, know about sacrifices and long days and sorry days and down days and all of the things that you put into building something with your own two hands. That's right. And far too often when politicians talk, about revenue, they're in never, never land. And, and the way to not have to face the consequences of your actions is to just divide people and say so-and-so's a hater or they're just against progress. And you said, I'm looking at the paper. Numbers don't add up. So now we're talking about closing universities and all those things we talked about earlier. So let's back up to your plan to put everything on the table, which to me is almost like having a constitutional convention without having to do one. Well, that's true, and, yeah. and, and and I've told the law enforcement folks this is better than have a constitutional convention. I think so. Constitutional convention. First of all, you don't know who's going to be there. Oh, you man. know who's going to be the the, oh, the people making the decisions. It opens up everything. Yeah. My what what I'm suggesting that we look at is putting everything on the table. It right. doesn't get rid of the funds. It right. Doesn't get rid of it in statute. It's still you still have to fund public education. You still have to. Fund supplemental pay, mm-hmm. um, but everything's on the table and doesn't hand, handcuff you big time. So let's talk about the NGOs. Everybody hears NGOs during session time, mm-hmm. non-governmental organizations, you know, the, the not-for-profits that get money through the state from the federal government or directly from the state from one purpose or another. And what generally happens is people vilify every organization that's an NGO. Quite frankly, that's not really fair. Many of them are just feeding at the trough without any level of accountability, but some of them do great work. So how do you deal with that to separate out the, 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 the bad from the herd you want to run? Or do you say cut it all off? Well, in order to be fair, 
And I, I try to approach this in a fair way. It's just like having five employees. You can't give three a pay raise and tell right. the other two, sorry, yeah. I've run out of money. Yeah. So I, I, I try to take a fair approach and put everybody on the table. Okay. Put everybody on the chopping block. And you have to prove yourself every year. Just so like, define what your chop, chopping block would require. Well, I, 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 would, I, would have, I would want the ability, if I was governor, to have all monies on the table. So that I could, as elected as your CEO, tell you, well, Clay, look, this year we're going to do this for education. We're going to do this for roads and bridges, which were $12 billion behind there. Um, we're going to do this. <laughs> yeah. We, 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 but, we, but what if we found some other ways to, to, to change how we were raising revenue? Mm-hmm. You know, NGOs, you know, getting back to that question specifically – I've saw, I've been against that since I got in Baton Rouge, and, and we've cleaned that up some. We sure. have to clean it up more. Mm-hmm. I look at it two ways. You have some non-governmental organizations that are nonprofits. Pick one. I don't want to, you know, pick one. Yeah. That uh, is in your community, and legislator goes to Baton Rouge and and finds a way to send them thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. That happened a lot in my first couple of years. Should that happen? Should should lawmakers have NGOs? Absolutely that they're tied not. To? Mm-hmm. We ought to get rid of all of that. Okay. I sort of look at it like this: if if you have a nonprofit in your uh, community and it needs support and propped up from government, it probably ought not be in business. Mm-hmm. If you have a, a a nonprofit in your in your community and it's a good one, go support it. That's how it was when my parents were alive. It you, we didn't rely on government. You rely on your community to handle your community issues. So, but what what I would be willing to do, that because I believe probably some of these organizations are doing it better than if it was being run out of Baton Rouge. Example, um, the Senior Living Centers. Okay. Um, I forget exactly what it's called, Um, but it's a, a council on aging. Council on aging. Yes. So, if if they weren't getting that money then we would probably be picking that up here in Baton Rouge. And, yeah. I, and that is, that's a very good example. Mm-hmm. So you can do it one of two ways. You either have some bureaucrat in Baton Rouge running that, or you send that money to the local To those local councils. Yeah, because yeah. Okay? that agency does a lot right. of great work. So, so I'm okay with that. Yeah. But there's a lot of other examples that I'm not yeah. okay with. So I think, I think what, what I would do is I would tell the Department of Department of Health and Hospitals, hey, guys, if you think this is a, would be a government function, then you fund it. Here's mm-hmm. your money. Mm-hmm. Here's your budget. You do the oversight. You make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do, and you do that. What I am opposed to is individual legislators having the ability um, through whatever means, capital mm-hmm. outlay, yeah. HB1, which doesn't happen that often, but able to find little piggy banks for, for nonprofits. I don't think that's government's role. Why? Because I think it should, it should be local government. I think it should be local people. For, you know, I don't have the number in front of me. I used to keep up with that every year. I don't do this every day anymore. But what that number was every year that we were spending on those organizations, because yeah. you always find, especially during the fiscal year. Right. Um, and maybe we'll get it and then put it out on Facebook or Twitter, what that number is, because it's a big number, especially now. Now, it's a fraction of what our what our budget deficit is, but over a period of time, those numbers add up. We started off by talking about the public not knowing how bad it is, how, how big, the, the, how tall the cliff is, how deep the hole is. First, constitutionally, you have to 
fix this budget. You, you can't end until the budget deficit issue is solved. Right. It, it, that's that's true. My argument's been that we we, we haven't really followed the law and fixing it or we right. would have or we would have fixed it seven years ago. So then. And then, well, that's an excellent point. So then what that means is you're going to have to do something. And the word drastic comes to mind. What are some of the drastic things that you expect to see cross your desk during the legislative session? Taxes, new taxes. Um, Governor said he wouldn't support any new well, taxes. Um, would he veto a new tax? Yeah, I'm sure he would. I'm sure he would. But you, you asked. That's what's going to mm. come. Taxes are coming. You're going to see a scaling back of exemptions, which now he is sort of uh, changing. Exemptions it. on? On business, okay. movie tax credits, solar. Is the homestead you know? exemption going to go away? Uh, no. Okay. No. Um, but but that could be a way uh, to help the locals is, you know, uh, my, my seatmate, Representative Pearson, a few years ago had a bill that did something to the effect that made everybody pay on the first $10,000. Mm-hmm. You know how many people don't pay any homestead exemption? Yeah. None? Yeah. So that that there are some things I think we can do to raise money for locals. I think in general, government, state government has to get out of the business of of propping up the locals. Right. You know. Now, granted, I understand we have poor parishes and what that they would do. I, I didn't say it's a perfect answer, but it's something that we have to start moving towards. So taxes is the first thing. What's after I think tax, that? Tax, um, then scaling back some of the exemptions. Okay, we talked a little bit about that yeah. already. So what what what's after that? Um, that's it. That's it. So you getting can, rid of some of the tax exemptions, which means we keep that revenue because we're not giving. Correct. We're not giving. You know, we're not letting them pass on paying taxes. Correct. And then we raise taxes. There's talk about the cigarette tax. Is that going to happen during this session? Well, it's passed before in a governor's veto. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I I literally go back and forth um, with the taxes um, on that cigarette tax for this. I can't vote for a for new money into. I'm convinced that we are fixing the structural problem. Ex- ex- explain that. Go into detail. Well, on meaning that. that that we st- we, we we. You mean the way we go about doing business? Yeah, I mean yeah. if 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 we're in debt for a reason. Yes. Yes. And, and if you don't solve the reason, then what good's it do raising more money? You're going to end up back there again. I mean, it's inevitable. Here's the thing that's so amazing and quite refreshing hearing this come from someone who's a member of the legislature. Right. Uh, Just over 100 men and women who are tasked with handling the people's business. You're talking common sense, man. Clay, I went to I went to the house well a few years ago and I scolded the members like a like a daddy talking to their kids (laughs) about financing. I said, y'all, if you don't pay attention and you don't stop this now. Yeah. People are going to lose their jobs later on. Right. Well, guess where we're at? Mm-hmm. You know, now we're, now we're having serious discussions about scaling back higher ed. And are we going to close universities? No, that's not going to happen. See, I said when people bring that up that I don't believe it's going to happen. It's not going to happen. For two main reasons. One, the universities didn't necessarily begin the problem that got us here. And two, most of these lawmakers have to go back to these communities where these universities are. And there ain't no chance in hell you're going to go back. You're not going back to Southeastern and telling them, look, guys, I got to close a bunch of buildings over here. Right. You know, your going away party will be right after that press conference. Look, I've been I've been there twice, two times since I've been there. We have um, we had a vote. I was in in committee 
I was on the education committee when they wanted to uh, combine Suno, you know. Yeah. You know, but that, that turned into an erasure, a, a racial issue. It's not racial. You have two colleges basically across the street right. with declining enrollment um, in a city that right. was devastated. So, okay, so we're not going to so, do that. Now, now we're just going to let them survive on their own? That's not going to work either. I'm telling you, over the next 10 years, if the, the way this economy is going, I wouldn't be surprised if, if either one of those schools close on their own. Hmm. And, and that's, not, that's not a good way to do business. Well, it's not. And you get people who are tied to their, their alma mater because of right. you know, great reasons. But there is declining enrollment there. And I often ask myself when that issue came up, the way that it was presented, like you have a common sense approach, of, of, you know, with talking about things. Sometimes I think politicians mean to piss people off because they go into a press conference with bad news and start swinging an axe, almost said a cane knife. You might know what a cane knife is, mm-hmm. but there are a bunch of people who don't know what that is. It's a... Right. Sling blade. There you go. I'm from Poinky P Parish. All right. My wife's from White Cow. All right. There you go. So instead of saying, here's the problem, we, this is going to happen. You're going to lose both of them. We can, we can do something that would save the remnants of one and, and the other exists and you can have it. That's not always the way things are offered, right? No, because, the common sense is, like you said, in 10 years, neither one may exist. Because they've taken the same approach that, that you know, the, the one thing the business has taught me is an urgency. Yeah. And to there's things yes, that sir. you can't control. So if you don't take steps to limit that, then, then, then something could happen that you have no control over. But that's if you're paying attention to the trend that's building in front of that's you. That's right. And, and in Baton Rouge, government, you know, people sort of just let these problems, they, they sort of treat them like, they close one eye and said, man, it's going to get, it'll be okay. It'll disappear. And it's, it's sol- it will solve itself. Never, well, never land. It hasn't happened and it's getting worse. Well, I just, I, it's refreshing. I, I know you're not the only one. And there are a great number of lawmakers who see the problems and are concerned, but not very many are bold enough to say it publicly. No, here's another bold one. <laughs> yeah. This is another bold thing that has to happen. Throw it at me. I, I filed a bill two years ago that would change how capital outlay projects are approved. Uh, Joe Robodeau, who's yeah. the chairman of Ways and Means, yeah. he actually filed the same bill, unbeknownst to me, uh, that he, he filed the same bill. Um, we moved them both out of committee. His moved off the House floor, I don't think, with a nay vote. Went to the Senate and was crushed. Didn't even get out of committee. Why? Politics. No, no, no. Why? Politics. Yeah, but but politics. Because they. Because let me tell you, did they get bullied? Um, I, I don't. I don't know. You know, getting bullied. I, I guess some people get bullied. I'm too big and bad to get bullied. <laughs> but here, here, this is what happens with capital outlay. You know, and I and, and I, I want to keep it clean because it, you don't it, have to keep it clean. It's there, a podcast. Well, there are some words that I use, but. You know, the 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 capital outlay process is used to keep legislators in check. Yeah. And if you want something, uh, then you got to you got to play nice with the other side, yeah. whatever the other side may be. Typically, the administration. What I want to do is take capital outlay away from um, the bond commission and 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 make the legislative body, the committees. 
approve projects. Ooh, and then ooh, the, and ooh, it, ooh. it would take it away from oh, the governor man. altogether. Just think, um, Clay, I'm telling you. I don't think you, the average person listening understands how large that is. That it is just, very large. That's death threat you said large, a bomb. man. <laughs> this is a bomb. If the governor doesn't have that tool man. To, to basically blackmail legislators, we'll, we could change government in Louisiana. <laughs> so that's bills filed again. Uh, this year, Jay Morris filed one, and so did Kurt Talbot. And um, we this would be the year to pass it because Bobby Jindal's termed out. He, yeah. he has no reason. He, what, what would he care? You know, so um, that would unleash the legislators to vote their conscience and yes. do what's right, not get bought off for $10,000 for this little sidewalk or mm -hmm. send a couple dollars to your nonprofit or your festival or whatever. Right. And um, the other thing that w that I'd really like to see is just an outright moratorium for the next four years on 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 new projects. L let me ask a two part question, and then I'll, I'll listen to your answer. The first part is, it should be that way anyway. That you should be able to vote your conscience. You should be able to vote the way you told people that you uh, that you were going to vote when you get into the legislature if they elect you. Uh, the the first question is explain or maybe maybe asking you explain a little bit of some of the tactics against you if you go against say this administration or any other because they because this power has existed for a while that's right. first thing second part of the question is what's the fear of when you turn it over to a legislative committee that they don't all of a sudden become the bullies on the on the block well it just depends on how how you set it up i mean um i, I would tell you what the the process sort of works like this if you don't go along with leadership or uh or the governor then you can just forget any request in fact i don't know if i've made a request in in eight years because <laughs> you know, know you're going to get a no yeah i mean maybe so, with another word in front of it yeah now now with my common core fight oh I, no 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 don't get ahead we're coming well, to common no, but, core but the governor <laughs> the governor and i actually are on the same side of this fight so you know, maybe I ought to put in a little request for capital outlay, but I we can't pay our bills now, Clay. Right. And and it's 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 fundamentally flawed, and it needs to change. We can't pay our bills now. We shouldn't be bringing on new projects unless it's a critical need of the state. We're spending money on local projects and not on state projects, and that typically goes to legislators who are playing playing ball with the right side. In other words, in in Average Louisiana terms, stop going out to eat until you can pay your water bill. Pretty much. Yeah. So um, some of the bills you filed, and I want to I get into some of this. We talked about the bill that would really undedicate 85% of some of the dedicated cash, which, like you said, no chance in hell because there's so many sacred cows buried there. I mean, it's just... It's unbelievable. Um, well, but before you move off of it, I do want to say this. I mean, I'm, I'm not opposed. I mean, look, I'm a former uh, narcotics detective. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I'm getting a lot of emails. I think my assistant told me today we had about 350 emails at the office today. You know, I'm not opposed to supplemental pay. Um, heck, our teachers deserve more pay. Mm -hmm. Our law enforcement, our firefighters, they all deserve more pay. Amen. In my right mind, I wouldn't cut that pay. Right. But... It's like having five kids and treating three one way and two another way. I want to put it all on the table right. and divvy it out every year. So it's equitable. So, so it's equitable. HB 542. 
dealing with um, state standards. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in the summary that I have in, in front of me, it says the bill retains current law requiring the implementation of statewide standards for required subjects, as well as the LEAP test. Uh, the bill also supports the current law that Bessie used test scores to determine students' success, right? Talk me through that because I got some questions about it. Yeah, that's Lance Harris's bill mm-hmm. that, that I co-authored mm-hmm. along with probably 20-some-odd legislators. All right. You know, um, we've put a lot of work into trying to figure out how, how, do we, how do we get what the mom and dads want for their kids mm-hmm. and, and then how do you do what business wants? You know, business's frustration is they're, they're, they, that the work pool is not adequate. But I can tell you from a, from a daddy sta- uh, a standpoint, and my wife's a 30-something-year educator, mm-hmm. um, you know, we are giving up control of our education system to somebody else outside of Louisiana. And, and You're saying the federal government. Yeah. And, okay. and as... as as I tell people, it, it, it basically works like this. Race to the top money is being used in bad budget times because states need the money, and, and, they, and they're using it to coerce. If we weren't having budget problems, a lot of these states wouldn't take the race to but, the top but money. But isn't the truth that, that the race to the top funding, because we're actually on, you and I are on opposite sides on Common Core, and okay. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to having the discussion. And even if you don't com- call it Common Core, call it whatever I mean, you call want. it whatever you want. I'm in favor of a set of standards because we have children who get high school diplomas who can't read. Right, so what do we disagree about? So no, so you are with me on well, that. Absolutely. Okay, all right. I misunderstood something mm-hmm. you said earlier. Okay. This is, Clay, Clay, this isn't about standards, man. Right. This is about whose standards are going to follow. Okay. Are, are we going to follow standards that you are involved in picking or some brainiac in D.C. Right. or New Hampshire? Mm-hmm. Or, that's, that's what this really comes down to. Whose standards and whose tests do you want to take? Do you want to buy some tests that's people outside of Louisiana that you as a dad, okay. I don't know if you have kids oh, or not, yeah, I do. that you can't see? Yeah. And now you're holding teachers accountable to tests that they can't see. So, okay, so we agree there. So I don't want to leave the bill before we, we get kind of into the ancillary conversation about it. This bill specifically, again, does what? Basically, I'm going to put it really simple. All the bill really does is give authority to the state to create its standards and create its Its own tests. standards without the, some federal mandated standard. Common Core has developed a stigma because of the rhetoric. Okay. The governor supported it. He was a part of the, the group that was creating it, right? Correct. And it became a political hot potato, and he flipped on it. And now he's against it. And a lot of people say Common Core will do things that you and I both know it won't do. They're not even included in what it is. So based upon where the public is, I, I'm not married to it and saying, well, no, we got to keep it. Change the name. Call it something else. But we both agree young men and women should be able to read and count and, if at all possible, speak the English language when they graduate from high school. Correct? So then what do we do then since we're in this conundrum about standards? Let's let's just for sake argue about this. Okay. Okay. You pick in Common Core. Okay. Common Core hasn't been tried and tested anywhere. 
Well, it's brand new, but there are teachers here in EBR who say it's working for them. Uh, and I don't doubt that. Uh, you know, uh, and, is, and, and in fact, in other parts of the state as well, there are some teachers who say it is working for them. Right. Some say their biggest complaint is they weren't prepared for it before they had to be required to teach it. That's a very fair argument. No, look, you, you, it's no different than anything you go do. You're sure. going to find some who like it, some don't. Mm-hmm. I hail from St. Tanny Parish. Sure. Our school board is unanimous. Mm-hmm. One of the top big schools, districts in the state, adamantly opposed to it. Mm-hmm. And why did they say they were? Uh, because they have no control of it. They're, they're, they're being told what they have to do. We, I helped pass legislation last year that would give local control and curriculum authority to the local school district. Not so. You got standards created outside of Louisiana mm-hmm. that forces you to take the park test mm-hmm. that drives the curriculum. Yeah. Well, that, that doesn't give control to the locals over their curriculum. All this bill is going to do is is create Louisiana standards, a Louisiana test that can be changed as it needs to be changed. Right. You cannot change sure. Common Core standards. And even if you did change the 15% that they allow you to, you can't test on it. So let's say Louisiana creates its own standards. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're aware of what's going on in East Baton Rouge Parish right now with the school system here and, and the, the issues that have been created by a system that has not been performing well, right? We could possibly have a new city in the parish, right? So then how do you know, you are, and, and I just want to understand, maybe I'm mischaracterizing what you said, and if I am, please correct me. If the state is creating the standards, is, is it coming from, say, John White through Bessie or from Bessie through John White? How does that work to get to the individual School districts around Louisiana. Well, look, Bessie, Bessie's in, in the Constitution. Right. They're charged with it. They're so the it, state's school board. It will, be up, it will be up to Bessie mm-hmm. to create this body that, that creates the standard. Um, and, and I'm okay with that. I want teachers. I want parents. Um, I want them involved in, in that process, which they, have, they were not involved in the Common Core State Standard. What do you do in the interim? You know, in the interim... Because I, it's going to take a while no, to do this. No, you're right. Look, I told some people today, I am not the education expert. All I know is I know when I'm losing control of something sure. and when we're not. Right. I know when um, a parent comes to see me. And look, I didn't know anything about Common Core two years ago. <laughs> you know what? Actually, Hell, some of the people talking about it don't know anything no, about it right now. The great majority of people still don't. <laughs> right. But, you know, after about a third or fourth meeting, I have about 25 professional-type parents yelling at me. <laughs> I finally threw my hands up and said, I get it. Yeah. I, I clearly get it. How are we going to stop this? Right. And, look, I, I, I tell people this all the time. I don't care why the governor changed his mind. I don't care if he wants to be the president of the universe, okay? On this particular <laughs> issue, he's right. He's right. I don't know, John. I, I, I just, I, I. You're, you're talking, you're, you're, we're talking the same thing, Clay. Yeah. We're, I'm for high See, standards. We're both for standards. We both are in favor of something that is universal. So a kid from St. Tammany Parish, a kid from Washita Parish, a kid from Bozier, a kid the from, only difference they all is can you're read. not in control of it. But I want a system that I'm in control of. I, you as a taxpayer I can, can go, listen, as much control, control as you can give to the voter is better. I, you're never going to get an argument from me there. But where I disagree with you on with him is I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it's politics, pure and simple. And I'm just going to call it. Cer- it. It certainly meets what I'm trying to get done. Yeah, well, OK, I get it. But, you know, 
Look, I, look, a I broken people, clock might fall on you know, the time you're here twice a day. I don't have a horse in the in the governor's race. I got my own race to run. Yeah. But, you know, I told some people, um, David Vitter came out in support of Common Core. Then he flipped. I would tell you he came out in support of Common Core before he knew what Common Core was. Clay, I promise you. And that's you, a shame. Well, no question. There's no question. But he, he, I think he has a much, much better understanding today than he did six months ago. And many legislators, look, I can go back to the legislative session. I don't know if you could get eight legislators to sign their name, saying they were against Common Core. But guess what? Over the last seven months, eight months, listening to moms, going to town hall meetings, now all of a sudden. <laughs> and some of them just stumbled in because the bigger crowd is over there. So well, they just no, want to be look, where the bigger look, crowd is. And, and look, I. I'm an information guy, yeah, and I'm I'm driving the information. I went across this state. I went to town hall meetings all over the place. But Clay, this is how I look at it, man. All right, I've met poor parents. I've met average parents. It's killing parents with kids with disabilities. That's about ninety thousand children across Louisiana. Um, the, the you know I have a I my two children were were a lot different. My top daughter, my daughter. She was a top student. Mm -hmm. She would excel. I don't care how you teach it to her. She's going to learn it. My son, on the other hand, mm -mm, ain't going to happen. <laughs> he need a little tender love and care. Right. You know, so, so the, way, the way this is right now, the top kids, they're going to get it no matter what. Right. What I'm really, really concerned about right now is those average kids, the kids with disabilities. Sure. We're going to leave those kids in the dust. Yeah. These parishes that come, that hail from poor areas of the state, mm -hmm. these poor kids, minorities, yeah. um, they don't know what's hit them. They don't know what's hit them. When you, when you talk to parents, the average parent who never went to college, who but but is, has enough common sense to teach math and, and writing skills to their kids, mm -hmm. and they can't do it because they don't even bring a book home. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I got a couple of minutes here. I want to I want to ask you something here while while we're on the spot. I want to get you back here in a few weeks because, you know, the, as the session is beginning, as we are recording the show that's going to air this Thursday, the 16th, the session just kicked off today. So in two weeks, I'd like to see about maybe having you back because I'm sure the bacon will be cooking by then, and uh, and we can talk about what that looks like. Would you agree to that? Oh, yeah. I, there's, there's no telling. Because you look like you're having fun over there, so well, I like it. you know, I saw the – I tell a lot. I've been asked numerous times a day, okay, so what do you think? And for the first time in eight years, I can't tell you what I think uh, mm. because the problem's gotten too big. We've let it get out of hand. It's sort of like having cancer and waiting a year, to, a, a, a couple of years to, to to treat it. Okay. Now, now we're hemorrhaging, and yeah. and I don't know. I, I think I think especially if you're on a conservative side yeah. and and a Republican side, you're gonna you're gonna have some choices that you really aren't gonna like. Let me ask you this, and then I'll play this back for you in two three weeks when you come back. I'm gonna ask you a question, you answer it, and okay. by then it may be the same. Or it may be different. Is it a game show or something? <laughs> no, I'm just good. Okay. So here it is. By the, by the end of the first three weeks of the session, the biggest issue will be. Hmm. Well, it's got to be the budget. No, no, no. But specifically, we're going to be dealing with. How to raise revenue. And one of the ways we're going to do that will be looking at. Cuts or raising taxes. Okay. 
That's pretty obvious, though. I think I could have figured that one out. Well, I, I'm telling you, this, this don't take a brain surgeon to figure this out. <laughs> That's right. You know, we, we've tried some things to mitigate this over the years, but the mitigating's over. Yeah. I mean, now it's coming down. It's so big that, um, you know, some of the, you know, the get the, to get rid of the, the inventory tax and then credit you uh, when, you, when you send your kid to LSU or Southeastern and we're going to give you a credit on the fees and all, I mean, that's crazy. I got that one. That ain't going to happen. I got one at LSU right now. So, you know, I know, I know what well, it's like. Look, I, we, we, could, we haven't even talked about higher ed, really. But, I mean, we, I, I tell my colleagues, I'd just soon get out of the higher ed business. Mm-hmm. We haven't done a good job. We're one of the few states in the nation that control higher ed and their tuition. I think we need to get out of that altogether and let these, these four-year universities compete on the open market. Sure. You know, because the taxpayer can't afford it anymore. Tops, who I support, but you know what? 35% of the kids aren't graduating. Yeah. You know, that's crazy. So if, you're blowing you, the money if the kids get it. Yeah, and, if you're going to take yeah. tax money, I think you ought to be held a little more accountable. Absolutely. John, I appreciate you coming in, and hopefully you'll come back and talk with us again. I certainly will. State Representative John Schroeder joining us here on The Clay Young Show. Back to wrap things up in just a moment. This time of the year is great for our family. It's getting warmer, so there are more things to do outside. We love watching our kids play in the yard. What we don't like is having to treat our kids for fire ant or mosquito bites. My husband doesn't like waiting around, so he goes to Pest Stop. At Pest Stop, we can get the same stuff the pros use, and our home, our yard, and gardens are good to go. That means no ants, no mosquitoes, no termites, no spiders, and no regrets. We save time and money, and we don't have to go to the big box stores. Do what we do. Treat your home, yourself, with the products at Pest Stop. You won't regret it. Here's Pest Stop founder John Conroy to tell you where you can find one of the stores. Well, at Metairie, we're at 3512 Severn Avenue next to the Pepper Mill. On the North Shore, we're at 1417 North Highway 190. That's in the same shopping center as Sherwin-Williams. On the West Bank, we're on the Palco just past the Harvey Bridge. And in Baton Rouge, we're at 806 O'Neill Lane. Welcome back to the Clay Young Show. Oh, yeah. Hopefully you enjoyed our conversation with State Representative John Schroeder. Next week, in addition to our conversation about some of the issues going on with police and citizens across our country, we hope to have a conversation with State Representative Ted James. Ted James represents a district in the capital city area. He's in Baton Rouge. And we want to talk with him a little bit about what's happening at the session. Ted's an interesting guy. And we talked a little bit uh, this week about him coming onto the show, and more details about that are on the way. I didn't tell you this in the open. Gosh, ugh. hit myself in the head here. You can follow me on Twitter at ClayYoungBR, at ClayYoungBR, or on Facebook just under my name, or you can go to podcast225.com and leave a comment there. And that's all she wrote. Have a fantastic day. Hopefully, you enjoyed us wherever you heard us and that you are moving to the next level. It's The Clay Young Show on podcast225.com and on iTunes. See you later. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.